namo tassa bhagavato arahato sanma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sanma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sanma sambuddhassa good afternoon brothers and sisters in the uh, dhamma uh, good afternoon, Sister Sylvia Bay. Today's our topic will be on right livelihood. Uh, Sister Sylvia will lead a bit of quiet time before we start the session. Good afternoon, everyone, brothers and sisters of the Dhamma. I was told uh, by the organizer that there was a request that we spend a little bit of time with sati samadhi meaning calm the mind down have a little bit of uh, mindfulness develop a bit of mindfulness be a bit more peaceful experience some joy even before we start the talk. So may I invite everyone, may I invite everyone to close your eyes, sit back, relax, calm the mind down, and quietly say to yourself, I am blessed because I live in an age where there is still the Dhamma, where the teachings of the Buddha, the true teachings of the Buddha is widely available, and I have this opportunity to access the Dhamma. Say that to yourself with all sincerity. Feel yourself coming down. As you reflect on the words, as you reflect on how blessed you are to be living in an age where the mind is available and readily accessible, feel yourself experiencing joy. Then as you experience a little joy, watch the breathing, arising, falling, rising, falling. Observe the breathing, the rhythm of the breathing. As you observe the rhythm of the breathing, the sense of joy, the sense of gratitude may increase. See that gratitude, feel the joy. Then feel the mind calming down. Continue to observe the breathing, the mind coming down, 
Observe the breathing. It's okay to do both things. Experiencing the joy and telling yourself, I am grateful for this. And watching breathing. It's normal. The mind can multitask comfortably. We will do this for a short while more. As you feel your mind coming down, take a small bow, take a small gentle bow, mentally, and then slowly come out of the quiet mind, just come out of it. Okay, open your eyes. As you open your eyes, observe that breathing. You can still do that. And then when you're ready to join me, we can start. Now, that was just a short moment where you're given a chance to calm down the mind and not get excited. We, we want, before you listen to the Dhamma, it helps if you can take one moment to reflect on how fortunate we are, how blessed we are to be living in an age where the Dhamma is still available. Not just available, widely accessible. So now we're going to start with today's talk. Huh? I chose, when I was approached to give a series of talk by BF, um, I wanted the first series of talks to be directly relevant to our daily life. Hence, we had right action last week, and today we're going to have right livelihood. And the reason why I chose right livelihood is this. We are all lay people, and as lay people, earning a living is a critical aspect of our life. Earning a living is a critical aspect of our life. It is so necessary for us to go out, earn money for ourselves, for our family, for, for the comfort and the sense of security, for happiness of ourselves and family and other loved ones. And so, and not just that it is a, a key feature, but for many of us, it is actually a major part of our life. If you think about it, how much time do you spend at home compared to how much time you spend at work, in the office, earning, earning the living? So much more, disproportionate, disproportionately more. If you think about it, you can almost say bulk of time of an adult lay life, if we are working, the bulk of the time is actually spent in the office, at work. In that sense, in that sense, I think it is very important for us to have clarity as to why we're doing it, how we're doing it, can we do it in a way that does not compromise our practice, if you're a practitioner, and doesn't uh, affect, doesn't stain your mind 
if you're a non-practitioner, I mean, some of us say, oh, I'm not a practitioner, I'm just a, a Buddhist trying to do my best in a difficult world, so be it. Even then, if that is what you're saying, we still want to know how can we do it such that it doesn't stain the mind, doesn't make us more unhappy. And at the same time, because the Dhamma is all about lifting your, your mind, lifting your spirit, we want to live in accordance with the Dhamma. We want to earn a living in accordance with that Dhamma. doesn't compromise our values, our Buddhist values. And then I will say we have lived rightly by the Dhamma. Okay? So the reason why I picked this topic is because Earning a living is a key feature in daily life. So you see the second point, conditions for Akusala. And it goes like this. When something matters to us, if you look at your own mind, when something matters a lot to us, we, that is where we get excited. That we can become more aggressive, more pushy. If something doesn't matter, it is very easy to say, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. I let go. I can accommodate. But when something matters, it's that much harder to accommodate. It's that much harder to let go, right? So when we talk about, when I say akusala in, 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 uh, in this working life, in our, in our job, the reason is because for many of us, we tend to see it as a zero-sum game. We get a promotion, or someone else gets a promotion, it means we lose it. We don't have that chance. If someone, uh, someone gets a deal, we lost that deal. If someone gets ahead, we are behind. Somehow that mind gets into this mode of competitiveness. And because the mind slides in that general direction, because job matters, work matters, this is where there is a very high chance that people become akusala. Akusala being unwholesome because the craving increases. When craving increases, everything else, everything else of unwholesomeness can increase. Jealousy, stress, anger, regret, uh, temptations, and so on and so forth. So actually, at work, it can be very difficult. For some of us, we may feel it like this. We can feel that it is very difficult to hold the ground on the mark. And that is the reason why, for today's talk, I would actually spend a shorter time delivering a talk and allow a far longer time for questions and answer. I am assuming there will be questions and answer. And I hope to be able, I hope to be able to answer the questions to your satisfaction. Okay, that's where I'm coming from. Now, first, I introduce a topic, what is right livelihood? So I must explain, right, right, right livelihood by the Buddha's words, huh? according to the Buddha's words. Actually, the Buddha didn't say a lot about right livelihood. To be honest, the amount of words that he had actually said on right livelihood, how to earn a living rightly for the lay people, the actual words, very little. It's actually this sutta. It's, called, it's in the Anguttara Nikaya, 5.177 Wanija Sutta. Okay? 
And this is the famous one that is often touted as the Buddha's position on right livelihood. If you recall, when we talk about the Eightfold Path, in the Eightfold Path, um, fifth one, the fifth, the fifth spoke, the fifth element, five traits. Abstaining from five traits, okay? So, if abstaining from five traits, it means do not trade in weapons, living beings, meat, intoxicants, and poison. Fairly straightforward. So generally, people will go away saying, Buddha said, right livelihood is not engaging in five traits. Easy. Many of us are not salesmen selling anything. So therefore, whatever that we do shouldn't be off, off the rules. Of the, 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 um, what, what he said about right, right livelihood. Okay? Okay. So, if that's the case, then we, we, we may go away thinking it's perfectly fine to be doing all kinds of work, even though deep down we might actually feel that maybe something is a bit off. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe I should not be doing that. But we say, yeah, but Buddha said five, right livelihood means no engaging in five traits. Then it should be perfectly fine to do this. That is the reason why I feel very strongly that I think we should take one step back and understand the context of how this comes about, this came about, okay? When the Buddha talked about right livelihood in the context of the Eightfold Path, he actually never said specifically right livelihood means not engaging in five traits, okay? Directly in the context of the Eightfold Path. He actually said this, AN3119 activity, he actually said, oh, right livelihood means not engaging in wrong livelihood. Full stop. So then this big question, okay, what is wrong livelihood? And therefore, what is right? So this one is very specific. Not engaging in five traits was telling in a very specific occasion, he told someone, should not engage in these five traits. Okay? Specific to the old notion of right livelihood, it actually never said. He, he said, what is right livelihood is not wrong livelihood. So someone may say, oh, done. We have a problem here. Then what does it mean? Actually, Buddha, in many parts of the sutta, had explained here and there in various places how people should approach their daily life, the work in daily life. The trick is to basically dig out all these little pieces, string them together in what I call connecting the dots, you know, just stringing them together. And when you strung them together, you have a fuller picture of what it means to have the correct approach to livelihood, okay? The key principle, the first key principle in right livelihood is this. Harm nothing, 
cause no suffering, cause no pain. Harm nothing. Have in, the, in whatever that you do, do not cause harm, pain, suffering, grief, draw blood, etc. Don't do any of those things that hurt people, hurt beings deliberately in, in a malice way, in a malicious way. Okay? If you think, how, how did I come by this? It's basically on two, two points. One is on the precepts. If you look at the precepts, he talks about no, no killing, no stealing, no sexual misconduct, actually no lying. So, wait, uh, let's start again. No killing, no stealing, no sexual misconduct, no lying, no um, intoxicants that cause mindlessness or heedlessness. Okay? If you are a practicing Buddhist, and you say, I am a student of the Buddha, I'm a disciple of the Buddha, I honor him. Then in whatever that you do, whatever job that you do, this five, this, all these precepts shouldn't make an appearance in your work. So if you think about it, this stretches things a lot further, widen the scope of what is wrong livelihood a lot more. Because, for instance, huh? for instance, if you know that your company is dealing with some scam products, hmm? for instance, the pyramid scheme, you know it. That is breaking the second precept, as well as the fourth precept, okay? Second and fourth. So, even though 2,500 years ago, Buddha didn't sit there and say, thou shall not engage in scam products. But it will fall under what he, what he would perceive as the wrong way to earn a living. And there are many more. The scary thing is it's actually a lot more than we think. Okay? I will go into details later. Under... wider than just five precepts, and for all good Buddhists, we should bear these ten akusala kama in mind, okay? Akusala means unwholesome. He said, three by action, three akusala, three unwholesome activity driven by action. Four unwholesome activities that you can, that you will undertake through your words and three more activities in the mind, okay? Now, what does that mean? The three by the body, killing, stealing, sexual misconduct. The four by speech, uh, lying, falsehood, harsh words, slander. The fourth one is gossips. Gossiping, frivolous talk. Now, you just look at these, okay? If your job requires you to write gossips about people, you see, I'm a journalist and it's my job to write all sorts of gossipy pages for, people, for my magazines or for my products or online. What does that mean? 
I don't have to tell you that there is something that is inconsistent. If you, this is your job, this is inconsistent with his advice already. And it's not just that. What if your job requires you to fudge truths? For whatever reason, your job says that, oh, you must go and tell the customer A, B, C, D, E, which is not consistent with what you know, what you know to be the truth. Then that job, for you, it's already staining your mind. Okay? So, this alone, I give you a little, I, I, I will offer you a little trick to, to remember, to reflecting on whether a job is right or wrong. The right way or the wrong way to earn a living, okay? And it is this notion of empathy. If you yourself would not like to be the victim of something, but your job requires you to play the role of victimizing another in whatever ways, then that job actually is damaging. It's problematic. Problematic because it will do these two things which I will explain later, okay? Actually, maybe I'll just explain it now, huh? Because since we are at this, avoid whatever job that you do, avoid staining the mind, avoid undermining practice. Avoid staining the mind, avoid undermining practice. Okay, what does it mean by staining the mind? If a job causes you to have a lot of anger, going to the job causes you to have so much frustration, so much agitation, day in, day out, you're complaining and whining and having this uh, frustration that it's burning within you, then that job is staining your mind. Or if it is a job that caused you to have this agitation for winning, you know, I have to get ahead, I have to do better, all forms of craving will lead the mind to experience dukkha, suffering. And a, a job that caused you to, have to increase your loba, your desire, or a job that increases your agitation, your anger, both jobs will stain your mind. That's what it means. So I said that whatever jobs that you do, if it ends up with your mind being affected, and you go for a retreat, or you go and meditate and nothing happens, you will maybe snore your way through your, your meditation, then that job is not helping you to to experience what you call the lightness and the joy of the Dhamma. It can't, because what you do there, your motivations there, will only take you further from the Dhamma, not closer, okay? If you are a practitioner, I would add in this phrase, avoid undermining practice, which means a job that you do will cause you to have sleepless night, will cause you to be maybe fatigued, completely exhausted, and then that in itself also creates a mental unbalance, imbalance. Mental imbalance, maybe affect your health, and because of these problems, what 
practice you're talking about. I'm barely able to cope with being just emotionally balanced, let alone trying to see the mind, understanding what it is, and experiencing the joy of the Dhamma, nothing is happening. It it's not going to happen, okay? And I will explain that later. The next key element, the next key principle about choosing the right kind of livelihood is this. Honesty, it should be legal and you should, you should perceive that you have put in a fair day work for a fair day pay. Okay? What do I mean by that? You see, there is a sutta, Anguruttara Nikaya 4.62, where the Buddha actually said, by the, the lay person earn wealth like this, by energetic striving, he amassed his wealth by the strength of his arm, meaning he puts in the effort, by the sweat of his brow, and it is righteously gained, righteously earned. So, put in the hard work, causing no pain, no harm to another being, at the end of the day, when you walk out of your job, of your office, your conscience is clear. That is what it means by right, by right living. That in whatever that you do, you go home with a peace of mind. You feel that you had contributed to people, whether it's a small group or the larger community, or maybe just your family, but you walk away feeling that today had been a good day because what I did today, I think it helped someone. I think it was good. Now, I'm not talking about saving the world. Those are very tall order. I mean, not every one of us can be a fireman, right? We're not talking about that. But in your small way, in the office, in the office setting, you can be a mentor, you can be a teacher, you can provide support and comfort, you can help another. Actually, at work, there are also many opportunities for you to show care and love and concern and be, and be a wholesome force. So, over here, I will just point out that there are two parts to working. There is the job, meaning the nature of the work, the attitude that you take and hold at the office, at, at your workplace. The nature of work, as much as possible, you must uphold the precepts. As much as possible, you should avoid the 10 unwholesome activities, as much as possible. That is the with regards to the nature of work. With regards to your attitude, the way you see things, the way you understand things, that one, in my mind, you are Buddhist. You have good values taught by the Buddha. You will want to bring along these values to your workplace. And these values would mean, in your mind, cultivate generosity, giving. Observe morality, be righteous. In other words, do not do unto another what you don't want another to do unto you. That's actually very simple. 
if you will come and say, should I do this or should I not do this? My next question would be, do you mind if someone does this to you? And you say, I don't like it. Then don't do it. The Buddha was very consistent on this point. Something that you don't like another to do to you, you do not inflict it on another. Now, what do we like people to do for us, to us? We like people to treat us with respect, to treat us kindly, to speak gently to us, to be considerate of our feelings, to, to care for us. We like all these things. Did you do that for another? Did you do the same thing to, for another? Show them respect, speak gently, speak kindly. Uh, if it's not nice, don't say. Did you do that? Did you act with restraint on all the akusa, the unwholesomeness? And prolific, pro, sorry, proliferate, instead proliferate wholesomeness, prolific goodness in your workplace. Did you do that? If you say, oh, I, I didn't quite do that, it's okay. Not too late to start. Get started. Get started with being wholesome first. You see, for lay people, the Buddha had always emphasized cultivation, three mental cultivations. Huh? Dana, Sila, Bhavana. Dana is the generosity. I know, Dana translated, is typically translated as giving. But underpinning Dana, in the Buddha's context, in the way he taught, underpinning dana is always generosity. A heart that is open and embracing, a heart that is willing to let go and give. And giving is not just material giving, I've said this before, giving is really letting go of your own preferences. What you want, if you can be chaga, you can be you can do dana. You want something. You can't have it. Can you give it away? Will you let it go? So for instance, dana is material things, but dana is also immaterial things. So for instance, giving time, uh, being helpful, um, being supportive, letting someone else go ahead before you. They jump queue. Dana, it's okay, you can have the spot. It's free anyway. Spots are free. Giving forgiveness. Apologizing. All these is setting yourself aside, your own preferences, you set it aside for another. Can you practice this in office, in your workplace? If you can, you may see. In fact, I will say you will see, okay? I'm usually a bit more cautious, but it's okay. If you can really be chaga, not calculatingly chaga, meaning I give you one, say, hey, how come your turn, your turn to give me back? It should not be like that. Giving and dana, it's always, just take. There is no hidden agenda. There is no, um, I expect some reciprocity that isn't this kind of uh, assumption when you give. Giving is giving with a full-hearted full giving, wholesome giving, okay? Sila. Sila in a workplace means this thing about reciprocity, treating people kindly, do not with empathy. So 
don't steal another's idea. Don't, don't uh, um, hoard glories, um, anticipating rewards, or take someone else's rewards. All this, by the way, uh, counts as stealing. If you, were to, if you were to say two people do a project, and then uh, the boss said, wonderful job, and you say, yes, I'm that good. <laughs> that is stealing. Uh. Stealing doesn't mean you just go in and grab something of his possession. You just grab his chance for promotion or you grab his chance to be appreciated. That is stealing. Okay? Or, or if you want to get into uh, uh, some kind of um, uh, rivalry with somebody, and then you go and talk bad about the person. That means you are engaging in slander. That is also breaking the accusular thing, precepts. Not precepts, uh, uh, ten, one of the ten demeritorious acts. So actually, there's a, there's, there are a lot of little, little things that you will be surprised comes under unwholesome way of life, unwholesome living. So it's not so straightforward. Let me see. Um, okay, one, one, one more point to make is this thing about a practitioner. It, oh, actually, I missed out one. Huh? I, I, I spoke about Dana and I spoke about uh, Sila. I forgot to mention Bhavana. Bhavana means mental cultivation. Mental cultivation to improve the wholesome quality of the mind, helping the mind to become more at ease, more peaceful. One who is cultivating himself, bhavana, one who is developing himself, is what I would call a practitioner. Okay? If you fancy yourself to be a practitioner, then the question is, what are you cultivating? You're cultivating three mental states here. You are cultivating wisdom, morality, and concentration, samadhi. I call it PSS for short. You are learning that you are learning to moderate the desires, the habits of craving, the habits of wanting in your mind. You are learning, when we're talking about panya, we are learning to recognize for ourselves how all experiences are impermanent. They arise, they fade away, so you don't take things too hard. You don't, you don't allow your, your unwholesomeness, your agitation to react quickly. You see, for many of us, it's very easy for the mind to get caught up in a story and then get agitated and react. If you're cultivating, if you are into cultivation of the mind, you learn how to take one step back from an event, observe how your desire to react unwholesomely is coming up within you, hold that line and then you tell yourself, I don't have to react. I can take one step back, 
tame this mind, calm this mind down, so it doesn't react in anger or in frustration or agitation. It doesn't lash out. So all the efforts to tame, to calm down unwholesome mental engagements and activities, all efforts to do that and all efforts to cultivate wholesome ones, these two come together and amount to cultivation. Okay? Cultivation of the mind's quality. And I said, it cultivate along this line, it means in events, activities in life, whatever that is happening, and it causes you agitation, you take, you take the agitation and put it on your understanding of the Ma. Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Paths, um, Three Characteristics. Now, I, this is not a talk on these concepts, but if you are a Dhamma student and you are familiar with Dhamma concepts, these are ideas, these are teachings, they are framework of practice that you should periodically in your life bring them up and reflect on them in your life. Don't go and reflect on them only in classes and at retreats. It has to be in your life. And especially, especially when you encounter unwholesome activity, your mind having unwholesome reaction, unskillful reaction. Every time there is an arising of what I would call bosong, not happy. Every time there is this sense of pain, uh, a, a little bit of unease, um, discomfort. Every time you experience that, you feel that, you know your mind is in an akusala state. Okay? Every time you feel discomforted, there is this nagging feeling in you that is, that is straining, that is agitated. Every time you experience that, you know your mind is in a state of unwholesomeness. Akusala. In that state, bring up the, your, your teaching, the Dhamma. This is when you bring it up and you start reflecting on the Dhamma. Because when you reflect accordingly, when you are experiencing akusala, unwholesomeness, and you reflect accordingly, the mind can actually settle down. It becomes more peaceful. Okay? This is how you apply the dhamma in your daily life. And take this into your office, into your workplace. If you take this into your workplace, then if you recall, I said there is the job and there is your attitude. The job, the job, we know, as long as it causes suffering, it's illegal, your conscience not clear, it stains your mind, the job is not good for you. That is not right livelihood. But the attitude is just as important because the way you engage people, the way you react to events, it, that's how you will, you will experience staining. That, that's how you also experience um, improvement, bhavana, cultivation, improvement. So, 
when you have encounters, and in that encounter, you maintain that balance sheet, uh, you, ban you maintain wholesomeness as opposed to giving in to unwholesomeness, as long as you stay on the side of wholesomeness, in terms of attitude, it's right. Right attitude, right way of doing things at work. Okay? I, I wanted to make this distinction because of this. You see, let's, let's just take any profession that we can all agree is a good profession. It's a wholesome profession. Right? Being a doctor, medical doctor, everybody agrees. It's right livelihood until you're counting money all the time. I'm not treating this patient because she is, she's not going to bring me much money anyway. You know what? I'm just going to farm her out to someone else. So you see, the job is wholesome. The job is right livelihood. But your mind is not. Your mind being fixated on gains, desires. Even, even, um, even as you do something so wholesome, a job that is saving life and helping people heal and, and so on, your mind is still being stained. So a wholesome job in your hand has become unwholesome, has become wrong livelihood. And, and so this is something I feel um, in our modern world being so complex, so many layers of consideration, invariably you will run, you will steer into some kind of controversy. It is important as a Buddhist, and especially if you're a practitioner, be very clear in your mind. The basic principles of Dhamma is actually very, the, the basic principles of Dhamma are very simple, okay? Do good, avoid evil, do good, purify mind. That's your core tenets. When you are, uh, when you are undertaking an activity which is obviously into the grey zone and is going to end up staining your mind, your conscience will prick, for sure. Assuming that you have a conscience, and generally, we all do. If you're sitting here or you're sitting there listening, you have a conscience. I trust that it is healthy. And I trust that it will tell you, I don't like this. I think there's something off here. I feel that I'm treading very closely to, to shading off into the world of stains. If that's the case, if you ask me, should I do it? I would say no. Because your conscience has spoken. Your mind is affected. You are stained. You're starting the staining process. Think of it as you're sitting on top of a huge beaker and you're looking down and you're doing, should I pour? Should I get started and start pouring? And, and if you go in and do the thing, you tell your, your, your conscience, it's okay. Uh, you, you are just talking too much and you, you try to push him away and you start pouring, it will start staining. The process will start. Okay? Uh, that is one for me, the, the key thing about conscience, which is in the Pali word, is called hiri. This, is, this must be your best friend at work. Because if this is your best friend at work, the chances are you wouldn't stray very far. Even if you stray, for whatever reason, you feel you must do it because your boss tells you to, so you stray then very quickly it will come scuttling back, okay? The other one is otapa. Otapa is, uh, 
supper has been translated as moral fear. It is the, the, the moral check that comes from outside, your perception of what is, the, your perception of that check is it's an external check. Meaning maybe within you there is fear of karma, your fear of the law, there is fear that other people will talk. These, the, the idea here is because of that concern, that reservation about reactions, you hold the line and say, I will not do it. Okay? That is just as important. Yet another important check. Because that one will lead you to say, I won't do it. I'm, I'm not going to do this pyramid scam because I don't know if it is, but if I get caught, I'm going to die. So I'm not doing it. It's a good check. It protects your mind. So allow these two, Hiri Otapa, um, conscience, moral, moral shame, and moral fear, to be a part of your life at work. Do not allow your mind to keep saying, if the boss says so, it's good. Or, I must do it or I will lose my job. Or, uh, well, you know, everyone is doing it, why not? If you allow your mind to talk this way and not allow Hiri Otapa to come and hold you back, then you're actually being very short-sighted. Because look, win another case, earn some more money, have a promotion, so what? If you can't sleep at night, or you can't sleep at night, but there is always something that pricks you. This pricking can follow you into another life. So the money that you earn is here, but the mind that gets affected follows you wherever you go. So you ask yourself, is it worth the money? Is it worth the tangible material rewards of this life? For me, it is not. Because all these stains, all these agitations, what it will cost, the cost for you is unhappiness, stress. This is what you will say, got money also cannot enjoy. So it's not worth it. Whatever that you earn, there has to be that sense of peace and the sense of satisfaction when you spend it. Okay? So it's a relatively short talk. I am anticipating that there are questions. Okay. We'll start the question. Thank you, Sis Sylvia. Our first question. Soldiers are trained to kill their enemies to defend their country. Their motivation for killing is protecting the country from danger. Is being a soldier right livelihood since it involves killing? You know, I should have anticipated that a question like this would come up. There was a sutta where someone, an ancient warrior, Ask the Buddha the same question. It's an ancient warrior who went before the Buddha and he asked, I, we have learned, if I remember the sutta correctly, I, I cannot remember the exact, um, where exactly it is. Later on, when they, 
when they edit this, this video, we will look for the sutta and post it. But in the sutta, when the ancient warrior asked the Buddha this question, am I in the right, am I in, the good, the, in my job, uh, will, will this job take me to heaven? His question was a little different, but the idea is similar. Will this job take me to heaven? Because in, in, his, in his mindset, if he's defending his country and he is uh, doing things to, for his people, it's a glorious life, it's a and it is a glorious death. So he should go to heaven. That, it, that was in his mind. And if I remember correctly, Buddha didn't want to answer him, but after he, he asked, poked poke, poke the Buddha a bit, and the Buddha said this, if you were to, from deliberately, with deliberation, conscious decision, in anger, in, in, with desire, you kill. That is killing. That's it. That's killing. So Buddha was quite uh, unequivocal in, in his reply. Having said that, I would also say, um, remember what I said earlier on about the nature of the work? and the nature of your mind, okay? And if you recall last week, I also said, when there is killing, there is killing. There is no, f f no, there is no, uh, um, justification, you know, there, there, you, you cannot, there is no loophole. There is no loophole for you to say, this is killing, but can we like mitigate it because I, I have all these considerations? It doesn't work like that. The mind doesn't work like that because your mind knows, oh, I killed. The mind knows. It's not someone keeping score for you. It's your own mind acknowledging that you had done something and because of the action, it affects the mind, okay? So having said that, I will say this. You see, when you, when you are in a job, but the nature of the work, the nature of the work didn't take you out to go shooting. You didn't spend your day shooting and killing. You spend your day at the desk, planning things, uh, organizing, organizing activities. You may be planning for a war, but your war never came. Then in that case, it doesn't quite mesh with what was said, what was taught. What was taught was very specific. You went out and you killed deliberately, with anger, with desire, you are murderous. But you can't say that about the people in our, in the, in a soldier, the, the, the soldier himself hasn't gone out to kill. He was just there doing his work in his own way, serving his country. So I, I am not comfortable when people become very righteous and judgmental and say, thou shall not do this because, and thou shall not do that because. Remember what I said about the principles. It is not the designation of your job. It is what you do in the job that will shape, will have impact on your mind. Even if it's a good job, by all accounts, it's a job that's supposed to save life and help and heal. But your perspective, your attitude is all wrong. 
It's about money-making. It's about name and fame. It's about glorifying yourself. Then you can be in the best job, but your mind has already been stained. So you can be a soldier, but you have never actually fought. You have never actually killed. You were preparing your learning, your training, but you never did it. And you're very, you're very peace-loving. You're a gentle person in your daily life, in the manner that you treat the people in your, in your world. You are kind and considerate. Who am I to say that you are in a wrong job? It doesn't make sense. Okay? So what I hope that you, that, that you will take away from this session is to think critically. Understand the principles, understand the meaning of the teaching, and apply critically. It is, there are shades. Be clear why there are shades and how to navigate through that shades. Okay? The same person asked, what about a judge who has to use his discretion based on facts to pass death sentence to a criminal? Next time I shall ask for topics that are pure dhamma. And then we don't deal with this tricky social issues. I will explain by drawing examples from the suttas. Okay? There was a cute little story. There was an executioner in the time of the Buddha. And in ancient time, execution was meant to deter. So the most gory of sights you will see, you will witness at an execution. And this guy was in the front row seat. In fact, he was the guy who was executing. He was doing all the necessary damage to the human body. And he went, sat before, he was retired. You know, he, has, he was a retired executioner. He sat before the Buddha. He listened to the Buddha explaining the precepts and so on. Then he got really scared. Rightly so. And he got really scared. And he went before the Buddha and said, How? I spent my entire life killing. And Buddha asked him, Did you mean to kill? Did you, did you intend to kill? He said, It's my job. The Buddha said, were you angry? Did you have all kinds of desire and delight when you killed, killed your victims, the, the prisoners? And he said, no, I, have, I've, I, I had no anger, no, no, no uh, uh, akusala towards them. It was just my job. From now on, now that you understand the Dhamma, from now on, focus your mind on wholesomeness, goodness. And gave him a talk that so inspired him, made him so happy, so much so that as he was leaving the hall, the Dhamma hall that day, he had an incident with, I think it was a runaway bull. I think it was a runaway bull. I cannot remember the story. And he died. Okay? As a result of the collision, man versus beast, man died. And he actually ended up in heaven. Despite a lifetime of killing, he ended up in heaven. Now, this is not to condone killing, huh? because the point here is he was inspired by the Dhamma, his mind became light. 
if you have been killing, uh, it doesn't mean that at the end of time, you're going to have Buddha sitting down there enlightening you and then your mind became light. It, it may not happen. But the point here is things are not black and white. Okay? So what's the takeaway from this? Sometimes in a job, the person ends up making decisions which are, if you take a look and you look at it independently, you'll say, that's killing or that's not nice, right? Yes, but what is in his mind is also important. If he is able to really detach and, say, and, 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 and apply the law as he was supposed to, then this individual, this individual, because it doesn't apply to everybody, this individual, the way that he had experienced that moment and understood that moment may actually be lighter, be milder than another individual who relished, relished in very self-righteous way, enjoy inflicting the punishment. So the difference between two individuals doing their duty, but with a very different mindset, will lead to a mind touched slash stained in a different way. Okay? Having said that, I will also add this point. If you, yourself, are in a job that causes you to really question how much akusala you are, you are cultivating, cultivating. Then for you, it is time perhaps to move on. Move on, and for all the past that you felt had been wrong, make amends, because your heart is affected. I don't want people to think that if I don't care, nothing is going to happen. It will still happen, but in a different way. Recall the executioner who ended up in heaven, and then now he's a dewa. If he did not continue in his wholesome way, and he relapsed for whatever reason, he could still end up one straight road down. Okay? That can still happen. Or this can happen. And, 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 and there's no fix. Right? It's not this means this, that means that. The Buddha, the way he said it was, if he doesn't, if, in, a, in a different sutta, he, it's called the Chula Kama Vibhanga Sutta, he actually said, someone who kills a lot and enjoys it, if he does not end up in hell, and he doesn't end up as an animal, or he doesn't end up as a peta, a hungry ghost, but he had the occasion to be born a human. As a human, his lifespan is short. So the point here is you really do not know in the activities that you had undertaken, you had, you had done, and how it damaged the mind or stained the mind, you don't know what this will do. The sum of all these, at the end game, what, what, that transition, the rebirth, what, what happens there, you don't know. You don't know. 
it can be one of the four, i.e. you go to hell and an animal and a ghost or you end up as a human but in a much deprived life, in a, in a life that's far more de deprived, far more, uh, um, with far more disadvantages, with less blessings and so on. Having said that, I also want to stress this. We shouldn't be cultivating just because we're afraid of the karma. Actually, if you understand the Dhamma, you, are, you basically have the insider manual to cultivating a mind that, has, that is so much lighter, so much more joyous in daily life. Why do you want to settle for, I don't want to end up like that? You should be going for, I really want to be like that. I want to have this occasion to, be, to grow, to, to, to feel inspired, to feel joyous, to, feel, uh, to, to, to learn for the mind to actually expand and connect in a far more wide, expansive way. Not narrowly focused on, ayo, I hope this doesn't happen. Actually, that's the reason why I chose the word right livelihood and not wrong livelihood. Because to talk about wrong livelihood is actually to scare everybody into, I shouldn't do this, 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 and this. But what I really hope your takeaway is, would be, I want to do this, 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 because I can experience that, that, that. It's, in a, it's a positive spin, a more hopeful, a more joyous spin, okay? Thank you, Sister Sylvia. What about killing in self-defense? You got a job that is killing in self-defense, man? <laughs> that, that is not a job. <laughs> I guess maybe the person is asking about wholesome or unwholesome actions. Okay, jokes aside. Uh, this one brings to me a story that um, I, I like the reply from the teacher so much. That I, I have always kept this in reserve. That in the event this question gets thrown at me, I throw back. Because it's such a wonderful way. I, I, you know, Dhamma, there is no patent. Buddha was the only one holding patent. I was still ideas from, still ideas from everywhere. Everyone had given, if any teacher had given a good teaching, feel free to share. So this is something that I took from my old Bante in uh, Mangala Vihara. This is like 30 years ago. I was attending a class where uh, we were learning chanting and, and that class was talking about the five precepts. And someone asked Bante, hypothetically, if a snake was going to attack my baby and I, I, in my effort to defend the baby, I whack the snake and the snake died. Am I guilty of killing? And Bante said, yes. Okay, Bante said, yes. Self-defense, yes. And then the person said, yeah, but it's self-defense. Then Bante said, did you hate the snake more or did you love your baby more? And then the, the, the person said, oh, it's out of love for the baby. Then he said, focus on the love. So that was what Bante said, okay? And I thought that was brilliant because Really, it's what in your mind. If you will focus on anger and agitation, 
then at the state, at the point of killing, what you have is very strong, unwholesome mental state. It's a powerful stain. But if you were fearful for the life of another, and you were doing it because you were trying to save that life, and your mind was focused on the love, that helps. It will help you deal with your own regret later. Because no matter how, if you're asking me self-defense, it means you're not a killer. You don't derive pleasure from killing. And therefore, you will have regret. And if you had focused on the love or the care or the fear of looking out for someone, then even when you recall the incident with regret, you will still remember it was out of love. This will protect your mind. Okay? Thank you, Sir Sylvia. Another question. Giving and lending are different things. What is Buddha's view on these two? Giving is great. Give more. <laughs> Buddha never said anything about lending because I'm pretty sure in his time there were no uh, money lender. But I'm not sure. Okay, I'm not sure. I, I, um, but what's the question? What's the difference between lending and giving? Because lending and giving are clearly very different. I, it's the question about if I were to lend, can I take interest? It's not mentioned, it's not mentioned is it? What is the difference between these two? Lending, lending, lending and giving. Because lending in itself is not wholesome or unwholesome. So the, 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 no one asked him. I, I cannot put words in his mouth. Since he was not asked, I, I had no, no, no story to fall back on. As much as possible, we will introduce stories. Eh? Okay? Okay. Uh, what is considered right livelihood for a monk? <laughs> is it Brahma Jala Sutta, right? Is that, there's a, sorry, there is a Sutta. I can't remember. This is where, the, huh? Views. I will tell you. What is right livelihood? I, there, there was a sutta. Off the top of my head, I cannot remember. It's a very long sutta in the Digan Nikaya. So anyhow, um, the way that the Buddha talk about the practice is like this. You see, we like simple answers. If you can tell me five things, I will jun jun deliver on the five points. Then I feel very good because I have all the checklists, all the ticks, and I'm very happy with myself. But, you know, for the Buddha, he really wants us to understand why. It is not about knowing what I'm supposed to do. Just as important, if not more, is know why I must do this. Okay? It's not, I have to do this. But to know why. That is why in the Dhamma, there is this phrase that says, in, in the letter and in essence. Okay? In the letter means your five points one, two, three, four, five. But in, in, 
in essence, it means understand the motivations behind the rules and then you will know how to apply. And why do we need to understand the motivation? It's because the motivations, you see, when, when, the, rules were, were, when the rules were introduced, they were always introduced with regards to a specific transgression. This happened and then the rules were introduced to tackle that. There were students who wanted the Buddha to do what I call the preemptive strike. Buddha just think through all the things that people can do and then you introduce all the rules so that we can govern all kinds of behaviors for all time. And the Buddha said, no. We will introduce when the conditions are right. And, and, and that's because Buddha doesn't overthink. Buddha will tackle the Akusala as he encountered the Akusala. And you do not want to do, you don't want to introduce preemptively because people will not comply. In all the rules introduction, he always asks this question. Did you see what just happened? Do you think this is good or bad for practice? So do you think we should introduce this law? And then everybody, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that was how the law against liquor was introduced, by the way. Eh? In the early days, there was no law against liquor. But because of one monk, and he was a psychic monk, this monk has superpowers so strong, he can tame a poison naga, magic snake, eh? magic serpent. He could tame it. So the village being so grateful to his intervention, then decided that they will, they will honour him with treats. And then some, at some instigation, some nastiness, these guys went to give him liquor. So everywhere he went that day on his arms round, he was fettered with liquor. By the end of his journey, he was a dead drunk. They brought him back, he landed before the Buddha with his, face, his feet facing the Buddha. And the Buddha stared and said, Yesterday, he tamed a magic naga. Today, he couldn't tame even a salamander. So what do you all think? They say, oh, drinking is bad, drinking. Now, drinking is very much a part of their life. So then they all agreed, drinking is bad, drinking is bad. So the Buddha said, so, henceforth, no more liquor. Okay? Then they all agree, yeah, yeah, got it, got it. So that was introduced. Now, to answer this question directly, the reason why he said to the monks, there is, what is right livelihood, that means no wrong livelihood, is because he's telling them, you go by your training. What is this training of a monk supposed to be? Slowly allowing this desire, tangha, craving, allowing the greed to completely disappear. Completely. At some point, they, as an arahan, there is no more arising of greed in any shades any iota, minuscopic shade of that word. 
for a mind like this, they don't take anything. They don't do anything to earn a living. There is no earning a living. That is why for the monks, they had only four, four essentials. Food to keep the form alive, clothes for protection and modesty, shelter to, be, to take care of them, to, to shield them from the elements and as a form of protection and medicine to heal the form. That's all they have. You think about it. If you are down to just these four, how much more, how much living, how much earning do you need? Minimal eh? You can every day go to your brother's house, sister's house, somebody's house, because that's all, all you want is a lump of food. It's very minimal. You can literally live off the land. Eat the berry here, eat more berries there, have some durians there. <laughs> You live off the land. It's nothing. You have you, your your um, carbon footprint is minimal. Your cumber footprint is minimal. So there is no livelihood. There is no no. Buddha doesn't have to say, okay, listen, uh, all of you, you cannot do the following things. One, two, three, four, five. It will be a very long list. As the world become more and more complex, it's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot more thing. So he didn't. You just tell them, you know what you're supposed to do. You know what your training is supposed to do. Do it. And if you train exactly along how he does it, what the Buddha, what your mission is, as, as a Sangha member, what is your mission? If you train a, along that line, you, you will not be thinking about livelihood per se, earning a living. Your livelihood is literally staying alive. Food for the stomach, stay alive. Oh, that is so beautiful. The way they live their life will be so beautiful. I, I, the reason why I, I pause a while is because at the start of it, I remember there was a sutta where the Buddha actually listed many, 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 many jobs. There is a sutta. There's many, 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 many jobs that a monk is not supposed to engage in. I believe, this is my assessment, I believe that that list came out because... In the Buddha's time, because they had many monks, and I suspect some of them started being helpful to the laity. And in return for being helpful, they might have been compensated for their effort. And so then the Buddha here, cannot, <laughs> one more cannot. So he added his list as people started looking for loopholes. So the point, therefore, it comes back to the point that I was trying to make. Do not look for a list per se. Understand the, the essence, understand the spirit of the, the advice, the instruction, and go by that spirit. And then you will not go wrong. Okay? Thank you, Sister Sylvia. Any more? How do we, yes, a few more. Okay. How do we resolve the emotional pain when we are concentrating Constantly wronged because others want a promotion. Let them have it. Oh, so now you're the victim. You're okay. I know this kind of this, this kind of thing, right? Yeah. 
I will answer as you see if if I if I offer an answer that is completely consistent with a practitioner practice, someone out there is going to say, this is not helpful. I can't learn from this. So first I will try and answer it in a practical way. Okay. There are a few parts to this. First, in any promotion, you know, when we think about promotion, reward, acknowledgement, recognition, we, we, always, we always have certain assumptions about these things. Eh? Promotion must come following hard work, good work, general acclamation about your quality of work, and then rightly you, you, you take that, that promotion, that reward. But in reality, Ideally, that's an ideal situation, but in reality, sometimes things don't quite work out that way, right? Sometimes you are the beneficiary of a system that is less than perfect. Sometimes you are a beneficiary of a system, or you are the victim of a system that is less than perfect. So, if you want a peace of mind, as opposed to I want that promotion, if you want a peace of mind, First, you do have to tell yourself, you win some, you lose some. And if you happen to lose more, this happens to be your lot. How do you improve this? I would advise like this. Promotions are given by human. Rewards are given by human. Okay. And what is the key thing about human? The key element about human is their, their feelings. They like you. They noticed you. They like what you're doing. They will pay attention. That is natural. Okay? Humans are always affected by feelings. The rules try and add some constraint and make it a more level playing field for everyone. But invariably, that feeling will come in, okay? So, what is it that will help one make friends, gain support, without compromising your practice, your wholesomeness? To me, I think that matters. You do not go make friends just so that you can get something. The question is, how do you get into a win-win situation? You can make friends... You can gain acceptance, you can improve your social standing while not compromising the Dhamma. That's the part that we want to learn. Agree? So the way the Buddha advised one to do it is Chaga. He actually had a sutta where he told a lay person by the name Siha, that one I can find you the the the, the is in Anguttara Nikaya. He actually told Siha, for one to improve his social standing, chaga. Chaga meaning generosity helps. Generosity is not just giving things. Generosity is giving time, giving effort, being there, being being being. Uh, 
helpful, etc., etc., etc. Okay. If you say, "Oh, but I've done that and I still don't have it," do more, because at some point people's heart will change. Chaga is the most power. Is one of the most powerful universal language. In chaga, in generosity, it can melt a raging beast. It is powerful. So, do not expect that return. Give us, help us. Then you say, "Yeah, but someone stole my work." If you were chaga enough, you would have a lot of friends. Someone will speak up for you. That's all. Your boss didn't see. Everyone else is blind. Cannot be. If there are enough people, your name will float up one day. You just have to be patient. Okay. So this is with regards. This is with regards to trying, trying to be protective. We, we can't help. We're in lay life, so we want to defend our interests a bit, but doing it consistent with the Buddha's teaching, so that at the end of the day, you don't compromise one thing to get something. Imagine if you say, "Okay, he know how to suck up to the boss. I also know." Then what are you doing? You are causing your you, you you may not like yourself very much after that. So you're causing yourself some regret, with the belief in the belief in the belief that this is actually the way to go. I don't believe that. I am an absolute believer that in what the Buddha said and what he taught will work, always work, and work all the time. The question is, do you have the faith? To apply as he had taught, and be consistent with your application. You don't one day apply day one, then day two you expect result, then day three you change your mind, try something else. It takes it takes weeks, if not months and years, to reshape opinion, to shape minds. And if you are very consistent, you will reshape opinion. Okay, and it will help. Money back guarantee. Money back guarantee. Okay, in the Talaputta Sutta, the Buddha says that actors will either be reborn as an animal or go to hell. That saddens me so much, as some of them are, seem to be genuinely good people. Some actors use their influence to spread good values and use their wealth for philanthropic reasons. What are your thoughts on this? Okay. You use a, you when you read a sutta, you must you must uh, understand the sutta in its context, and as much as possible, understand it carefully. Correctly in the context, it wasn't just about being an actor or not. Okay, it was actually because the like it, it's actually because like this, the Buddha said, in people who do not have akusala, like they are not, they don't have anger, they don't have greed, then one who is the actor, his job is to instigate, to 
stir up all the akusala. You see, you think about it, right? When you watch a show, a show that from beginning to the end, everybody's meditating. Would you watch? <laughs> You're not very excited. So a show that kind of it, it hit the blockbuster and it really, really seize your imagination is one where your Vedana, your mind has been manipulated, right? And your mind has been manipulated in such a way that you will go through the roller coaster ride, joy, anger, agitation. If you find yourself scolding the villain, she gets an Academy Award, but both of you get a stained mind. This is actually what it means. When, when you are in a job where you artificially stimulate all kinds of akusala emotions, that cause your mind to be stained. If you cause your mind to be stained, the result of which is at your dying point, it may become a habit in your mind and that's where the slight will come. Okay? So, I will not contradict the Buddha. I will only remind people that go look at this sutta very carefully. The sutta was really talking about how by your action and by your words, you cause other people to have wholesome or unwholesome mental states. Even if you're not an actor, even if you're in daily life, and you spend your time causing unwholesome mental states around you, it also creates problem for you. Okay? Then the second point which you make is that was made is some actors are very good people and they have done wonderful, wholesome deeds. And they have beautiful minds. So be it. Then it's a different story. These guys will have the mind that are also elevated because of their actions. So Buddha didn't say this actor therefore finish, finish, you sure go down and finish. He wasn't saying like that. Okay? Just remember, just bear that in mind. Okay, the Sutta, Talaputta Sutta is Sanyutta Nikaya 42.2. Wonderful. Okay. The next question. As a practitioner, is it about understanding and accepting the consequences of one's akusala actions? If one chooses to do or is forced to do so and to do better afterwards? Do you know why we have this fixation about akusala and kusala to begin with? It is not right or wrong per se. It is how those mental states, wholesome or unwholesome, kusala, kusala, those mental states, they leave footprint in our minds. Some footprints left there will cause the mind to become diseased. The mind becomes unwell. And these footprints left there for long, left there long enough your disease, your unwell, your unhealthy mind 
can cause severe damage in this life and in subsequent lives. So that's the reason why when it is unwholesome activities, motivations, we have to learn to overcome, to negate, to negate, to eradicate, to let them go. Wholesome, wholesome mind, the mind, the, the kind of mental states like generosity, gratitude, patience, loving kindness, all these mental states have a vitamin component. It feeds your mind and gives it good health. It lifts your mind. It makes it, makes it strong, durable, um, energetic, and inspired. It makes living, daily living, very pleasant, very whole. Your wholesomeness becomes a positive energy that, that creates positive environment around you because the people around you, they, they, they get affected by your positive energy, mental energy, and then they become healthy. That's why we say wholesome mental energies heal. They nurture. They develop. They, they cause you to feel closer to Nibbana. You just look at your mind. Every time you feel wholesome mental energy, do you feel dukkha? Do you feel pain? What do you feel? You feel that there's nothing I want. I'm very accepting. I can let go. That, that's the reason why wholesome mental energies take you closer to Nibbana. It takes you closer to contentment and letting go. Whereas unwholesome mental energy will cause you to feel more uptight, more tense, more, more gripping, more agitated. Okay? You can see one type of mental states will really cause you to walk with a lift in your steps. Another one actually caused you to be dragged down. So if you look at the Dhammapada verses number one and two, the first one talks about unwholesome, evil mental states that bring suffering and pain. Typically, or not, not maybe typically, but man, many times people will just think that, oh, that's about karma catching up. It is not. It's when you do something evil or do something bad, motivated by bad intention, unwholesome intention, you feel burdened, you feel laden, you feel like you are the ox, the bullock, the, the bull, the block, buffalo. <laughs> you feel like you're the buffalo, dragging the poor cut behind you. All your akusala mental states will drag you down. Figuratively, and then later, literally. Whereas, you look at the wholesome ones, Dhammapada verse number two, like a shadow that doesn't leave, that never leaves. It's so light, you don't even know it's there. You walk, and why shadow? Actually, because you're always in the sun. That's why there is a shadow. Whereas the other one, you're laden, you're burdened. Okay? I honestly cannot remember the exact question. I'm happily talking away. 
because I want to make sure that I answered the question correctly. Yeah, huh? it's about unwholesomeness and, and uh, yeah, what to do after this. Ah, okay, now I, I remember. So, you want to know if it's okay if, there is, if you're doing something unwholesome, but you, you are what, able to maintain a certain distance? Is that, is that the idea here? Accepting consequences of one's unwholesome actions. Okay. So, the action, the action in itself, you're saying that the action can hurt, but if I, my mind keeps it wholesome, it's okay. I hesitate to answer it categorically because I don't want, I'm a thinking person, I don't want an unthinking application of a thinking reply, okay? You see, sometimes when you take a particular action, in your mind you know it is going to cause a consequence that people don't like. But it's okay, you will do it. And then you think you're very hero. Maybe, maybe it was a sacrifice. But you think a bit deeper. Is this sacrifice necessarily the only way to go? Number one. Number two, is this action necessarily your only option? Why do I say, why, why do I say that? When we take an action, we often already concluded that we want, we cannot choose A and B because. So therefore, we have no choice, we have to do C. But in the first place, have we actually thought through, why not A? Why not B? Can A and B be wholesome? Actually, my advice to everyone, you want a categorical, I'll, I'll say it this way. Always be very clear. Don't worry about the action per se, but really ask yourself, in, the, in making that decision, is there any drop of desire, craving? Even if it's a wholesome craving, it's still a craving. And a craving means the mind is already 50% damaged, stained, 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 not, not damaged. Damage is too strong a word, stained. As long as there is a desire, your mind is already 50% state. And 50% I pluck off the air. Could be 75, could be 25, I don't know. The point is there is already a staining going on. If you say, if I were to put aside my desire, completely, you identify and you completely put it aside, you might actually find that your decision may no longer lead to an unwholesome outcome. Do you understand what I'm saying? The bottom line is, for everyone, always ask yourself, do you have craving, desire, preference? Why? What is it? And why is it there? Because if you see it clearly, and then you say, I realize why I'm pushing for this. You know what? It's okay. When you do that, you might actually not have an opinion anymore. You might actually let things be. So that can happen. Okay?
Thank you. We have. We will take five more questions, and we will end there. Oh, the, the fifth question is: I happened to walk past uh, this man who was fishing. He caught a fish, and I was like happy at that moment. After that, I felt so sorry. Did I commit any unwholesomeness? <laughs> I'm sorry that you felt sorry. I, I genuinely am. But at the same time, I'm happy for you because it means that the ma, there is a part in you that has hiri otapa growing in you. And hiri and otapa, hiri is conscience, huh? otapa is fear. So there is a bit of a fear of the kama. So hiri otapa have come alive. I feel sorry because you feel pain. That's why I feel sorry. But I feel happy for you because Hiri Otapa are guardians, are very powerful guardians of the practice. It is that which will keep you safe on your Dhamma path. When you have Hiri Otapa, you wouldn't you are less likely to pick a course of action that will damage your mind because Hiri Otapa protects you. That's why it is a good, it is a good, they are good, good mental states to cultivate and allow them to be healthy. They should be healthy, okay? Healthy, and you put this Hiri Otapa with wisdom, you put them together, you won't go wrong in this life and possibly in lives to come. You won't go wrong. So it's a good thing. Hiri Otapa, unfortunately, people don't like them because they are hard to bear. They keep you awake at night. If you have done, if you, if, if, if Hiri Otapa become very strong, you'll be like this. Huh? In the day, one moment of agitation, you shot out a word. At night, you wonder about that word and say, I wish I never say it. I feel so bad saying that word. Ah, blah, 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 ah, blah, 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 okay? So this is where the wisdom must come in. Huh? Wisdom will say, okay, so now we practice wholesomeness, right? Tomorrow go apologize, law. So make men fences, make peace, be happy, be chaga, something like that. Lah. So it was hiri otapa that take you and make you do something wholesome. Then, that night, the second night, after you apologize and you wholesome, wholesome all over the place, right? Second night, you go to sleep and you say, you know, I'm so happy tonight. I am so happy because I feel so joyous. Ah, there you are. Your Hiri Otapa who kept you awake the night before was the reason why you did something wholesome. There's nothing wrong with them. They are good. They're good to have. Thank you, Cecilia. In handling the dengue, NEA officers use Clorox to kill mosquito larvae. I know. How to reconcile the effort to stop the spike in dengue cases or deaths? If you guys don't breathing. leave stray water all over the place, there'll be no mosquito. Seriously. Buddhism is not about how, how, Buddhism is about preemptive, preemptive. So if you pre 
did you know, did you know that the monks, their practice involved overturning, getting rid of all the, the, the water. They do not allow stagnant water in, the, in their uh, bathing places and all. They keep the places dry. It is part of mindfulness practice. For us to live our life, it is always better to be mindful, wholesome and considerate. And in mindful, wholesome and considerate, it means doing the things necessary to keep the place hygienic, clean, be environmentally friendly, do, do minimal to leave carbon footprint, and all these things, all these wonderful good things that we talk about today. I actually like the fact that our world is going into a more socially conscious point in, in our life. It's a good thing. We have been too negligent too callous in the way we live. As a result, we damage the world around us. Having said all that, to answer your very difficult question, because the damage has already been done, because the damage has already been done, then because of our desire, it's our desire to be safe, that we said, heck, just massacre. You think about the contradiction there. If you do not have a lot of desire, all you need is to put mosquito netting around your sleeping places. Close the window, do the necessary. In how many days? I think mosquito dies within don't know how many days. Oh, three weeks or so? If everyone does his part, no stagnant water, no nothing, hunker down like COVID, uh, the way we deal with COVID, hunker down and don't go and interact all over the place. You just have to stay put three weeks. No more mosquitoes. I, I know I, someone out there just could laugh their head off saying, she is so idealistic. No, I'm actually being practical. That is why our, our, the messaging we have been getting is keep the place clean and keep it dry. Okay? Then you don't need all this, all this community massacring going on. We don't need them. Okay. Another question. Uh, in my young days, I was an investment banker and brought many companies for public listing and uh, placements. I have brought two companies that sell day-old chickens and fried chickens for listing. The listings were very successful and raised more than 500 million US dollars. Uh, Singapore government too had invested in the companies. However, in one of my meditation sessions last year, suddenly I could hear the chickens screaming when they were being slaughtered. I investigated the cause and it might be due to unwholesome public listing that I have been involved in. From that day onwards, I transferred merits to those chickens every day and I no longer eat chickens and meat products, but still consuming eggs. I wonder whether I should stop consuming eggs too. <laughs> oh dear. Um... <laughs> you know, The reason why I, I can't answer this question like that 
It's because I don't want to get caught up in, uh, in scientific discussion about the absence of embryo and egg not being live. No, 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 no. Okay. I would advise to you this. You have to learn to forgive yourself. Your mind is disturbed because you feel that you had contributed to killing. So you, are, you have fear and you have sense of guilt. It sounds like a sense of your conscience. They are squatting next to you and making a lot of noise. And you are very disturbed. What you said earlier about you sharing merits with all the, the beings, I think that's good. That's a great, that's a great act. And you're continuing to do good and share merits with all sentient beings, including all these karmic debtors. I will use the word karmic debtors because right now it's chicken and who knows what more, right? I think it is good to do it as a way of cultivating for yourself a mental state of sharing. The fact that you are in the Dhamma and you are learning meditation and doing all these things, in my mind, it does say that you, you have your own blessing. It is the blessings that took you into a journey that will help you clean up all these, all these imprints, these painful imprints of a different type. We all have imprints because we have had so many lives. Just within this life, you don't believe in past life, never mind. just within these lives, we have so many moments of lives arisings and fade off and arisings and fade off and therefore we have a lot of prints but we can repair the most beautiful in my mind the most beautiful part about the dhamma is that nothing is fixed nothing is firm it's a constant journey of of upgrading improving elevating the mind you are at a stage of life where the wisdom has hit you enough to say, I want to go on in a wholesome direction. That is a blessing. Imagine if you never had this wisdom arising. Then it will not be just screaming you hear in your ears. Okay? Then, as you continue the wholesome sharing and giving, Every time you sit, you start your sitting by saying, whatever happened in the sitting, at the end of which I hope there is some wholesomeness to share. I'm sitting for others. I think can really. It will help you sit. Because the, the, the mental energy that arises in you will be solid giving. Solid, wholesome giving and mental energy. Meta. And all this meta energy will help you to have a mind that's more quiet. But you really, really must tell yourself 
The past is the past. I forgive others, I forgive myself. You should have no problem forgiving others. Then why can't you forgive yourself? So you must say this, I forgive others, I forgive myself. And whatever that I can cultivate, I will share. And that's how you live your life. All for the better. A day will come, and I mean this, huh? a day will come when you will look back and say, I am actually grateful for the noises. Because it is the noises that got me onto this Dhamma track. So it's not a bad, it's not all loss. It's a good thing. Okay? Thank you, Sister Sylvia. We'll take two last questions. Are they still coming in? Okay. Last two. We will take the last two. What about religious preachers who glorify the superiority of their religion by condemning or looking down on other religious practices, such as idol worshippers or lazy monks not earning a living? What kind of effects will these religious preachers who earn their livelihood in such a manner? When our mind is weighed down by greed and anger, ill will, huh? and we are all sitting on delusion and ignorance anyway. So I will not talk about delusion and ignorance. Maybe that can be a talk for a different day. But the, the ones that we are very familiar with, our anger, our craving, these spinning into views and ego and uh, conceit, you know, all these mental energies do not give happiness. All these mental energies will cause you to feel agitation, will cause them to feel agitation. Anyone with greed and anger will have views and conceit. You pile them all together, it is, does not matter what brand, what shade, what colours. You pile them all together, this is a regular, this is a below national average mind that will then experience all kinds of agitation in life. Think of it like this. When we, you know, the, the words that, we, that the Buddha said, we are owner of our karma, we are heir to our karma, we arise from the karma, you're, you're born of the karma, you're shackled to the karma. Do you know what all these things means? It means that the way that you choose to pay attention to, to give vent to, to live your life, all those conscious decisions shape the way your mind is. And once it has been shaped, this is the mental baseline of your mind. This is the mind you have to live with. So if there is a lot of views and conceit, how many of us sitting there says, conceit is a good thing. When I feel conceit, I feel joy. Nobody feels joy in conceit. Nobody feels joy when their views, when they are seized by views. Nobody feels joy. But they don't know it. They don't realize that they are not feeling joy, that they are feeling agitation. That is why people with very strong views, people with very strong views end up being angry people, being self-righteous people, sit down there and complain. 
Yes, they, they, they are, the way they behave cause problem for the world. But who is the first person that has to put up with all those problems? He who is barking at the world is the first person affected by the sound of the barking. He's the closest to the barking. Okay? And others, when they run away, there is no more barking. But you still are barking. You see what I'm saying? So if you ask me, oh, what about these guys and what about that guy? And they have all these problems and they all say things about people, you know. I will say they are air. Air of their own karma. They will feel the pain of their own mental states. You don't have to worry about them. In fact, you shouldn't worry about them. The world will have to fix it, their own problem. We only have to fix our problem. Because when we fix our problem correctly, we are also the first beneficiary. We are the first beneficiary of a light mind. Imagine this. For those of you who have experienced a lot of joy from wholesome mental states. Say you go, you, you have done a wonderful, you, you, you have gone and help out in a charity. You're going to help out somebody. And whoever that received your help turned around and said, I'm so grateful you're such a good person. And you feel that joy. You feel that joy. Imagine that joy as a natural state of mind for you. Always present never kind of fade away completely. The joy of the joy in living. It's very nice, isn't it? Why do you bother about other people not being joyous? And other people being so angry? You fix your mind, you're happy. Then they bark, 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 bark. You will just enjoy the music of the barking. Oh, that will be the day. Eh? That will be the day. <laughs> yeah? Sorry, another last two. Uh, because this, another chicken question. <laughs> When I, when I was young, I have to help my mom slaughter chicken every 1st and 15th of the month for my mom to offer to our altar. I will be shivering holding the chicken legs while my mom cut the throat. How do I forgive myself and my late mom for these unwholesome deeds? You see, <clears throat> your, this is a good question. The word is to forgive yourself, right? It is a very good question. Sometimes the way that our mind works is like this. To say we forgive, we can't do it. But when we feel that we had done something, we sometimes find that it helps. So right now, why don't you consider doing this? You, you, you can go and learn meditation you can learn the Dhamma a bit more, a bit deeper, understand the practice. Because if you understand the practice and you start to be able to change, to rewire your mind, when you can start to do that, that, that effort is very powerful. It's very meritorious, very meritorious. You use this effort, which is very meritorious, which is very light and joyous, you share. As I said earlier on, 
say that I do this in the memory of all those beings that I have hurt or I have harmed in this or previous life. I will keep doing that. You keep doing this, you're rewiring your mind. Do something tangible and rewire the mind because it helps you to feel that you're doing something. If you are don't do it, if you're not doing something tangible, you may feel you feel it's all in your mind. Huh? You feel that I'm not doing enough. Then do it. Support a wholesome cause. Support good people. Help them in whatever. You know, go down and serve. Do something. At, at the end of all this effort, when you go home, stand in front of a window. If you have a shrine at home, go before your shrine and you say, by what I have done today, I feel joy, I feel that all these merits accumulated, I want to share with all beings that I have wronged, I have harmed, I have hurt in the past. You do this day by day by day until such time your heart actually feels that you have done enough then the forgiveness will arise spontaneously, okay? The reason today, the reason, part of the reason I suspect, part of the reason why that forgiveness doesn't come is because of fear. When you, when you have fear, and the more you think, fear is this, has this problem, the more you think, the more frightened you are, the more you say, how to forgive? You have the story of the executioner and what the Buddha did for him was to tell him it's the past. Now, from now on, do as much of the wholesomeness as you can. Do good, honor the practice, change the mind, and then you'll be fine. And he had absolute faith in the Buddha. For him, the elevation was just faith. Buddha said, so must be so. He was happy. By that alone, because he died very soon after that, by that alone, his mind lifted. You must have faith. Faith that the Buddha was right. Faith that your mind can be transformed, can be rewired. Faith that your goodness, your kindness, will be a source of comfort for others. And by that, you can then share your joy with others. Faith. And if you can, when you start to feel better and you're not so frightened, you will find that forgiveness will come much easier in your mind. Okay? Thank you, Sister Silvia. Last one. Dear Sister Sylvia, thanks for delivering this talk. It comes just so timely for me. May I know how can one find the right livelihood for oneself? Finding the right fit for one at work. Being in a helping profession has always been my passion, but I see that I have yet to develop the necessary skill sets to keep myself afloat in this profession. Thank you. Seeking advice. But, 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 but isn't that the top? <laughs> okay, okay. I will sum up again. Huh? Let me sum it up like that. Make it easier, bite-sized, so that you can just... Uh, apply. Whatever that you do, whatever job that you go into, the first principle there is 
harm nothing, cause no pain, cause no hurt. If you can do this and you flip it even further and say support, help, give. Very good. The, the, the job, the job in itself, very often, the job in itself is not wrong likelihood, very often. Because there are not many jobs that want to skim people out of their life saving, right? There's not many jobs that goes around and slaughter. You know, you, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're not in a job that kills as part of its raking in money. And you're not in a job that is bluffing, okay? Uh, then in your job, if you're not misrepresenting, deliberately misrepresenting, sales job is not wrong. Huh? I, I want to stress this. If you are an honest salesman, I would love you very much. Because you are honest, you can make a decent living. So sales job per se is not wrong livelihood. It is right livelihood. It's when you want to sell and you introduce lies into your sale, then that has become wrong. So many jobs by themselves are not unwholesome and wrong livelihood. But how you do it, whether you break your precepts in that job or you engage in unwholesome activities, unwholesome words, unwholesome lobbying, motivated by anger and desire, that's when your job becomes a bit uh, distorted, misaligned with the Dhamma. So, um, the third one is conscience. Your, your Hiri Otapa. I think by now everyone knows Hiri, Monsieur Hiri, no, Madame Hiri. <laughs> otapa is neuter gender. Okay, never mind. So Hiri and Otapa, conscience and moral fear. Fear. Um, when, when you have these two it, with you, you will know that some, some things that you do, you shouldn't do. Because that night you cannot sleep. And that's how you know they are, they are in business. Okay? And then some things, no, it's okay to do. Just know how to navigate. Keep it wholesome. If you have greed and anger in the picture, can you please set that aside first before you start acting? Because sometimes the greed comes out, and when you stare at it, it disappears. So the greed is gone, you can do it. And, and stay within your precepts, stay within host, not, not straying into unwholesome, then you're fine. Any job you can do, okay? Any job. I hope that answers the question. Thank you, Sis Sylvia. You got some more? Uh, no, we just somebody thanking you for sharing all the answers to all the questions posted and said that it was, uh, they were very clear and insightful. Okay. Practicing okay. consistence uh, with Buddha's teaching and daily okay. practice. Uh, reflections in our daily life. So, thank you, Sister good. Sylvia. We are good. I'm going to read something to you. I, I hope... Um, no, I introduced this because I feel that it, when the mind has been touched by the Dhamma, this mind is very pure. It's a beautiful mind. Okay? And 
you can increase that wholesomeness with activities, with things that you can do. And it's a reminder to why it is important to stay on this Dhamma path. So I'm going to read to you. I call it ingratitude. If you had experienced joy, listening to the Dhamma, do consider honouring our teacher by putting into practice his first teaching to the lay community. Be chaga. To be chaga means to be generous. Donate, help, support, give support of time and energy to a worthy charity or spiritual organization of your choice at your convenience. Be joyous in the giving. We must never take for granted the blessings that we have enjoyed in this life. As our forefathers, forerunners had done it right by us, we must continue the good work for those who come after. May the Dhamma last long. May we continue to enjoy supportive conditions for learning and practice. And may we never deviate from the true teaching as long as life lasts. Okay, let's share, invite all sentient beings to participate in our acquired merits today. Etavata cha amhehi sampadam punya sampadam sape deva anumodadadu sape sampati siddhya etavata cha amhehi Sampadam punya sampadam Sabe buta anumodantu Saba sampati sidiya Etawata ca amhehi Sampadam punya sampadam Sabe sata anumodantu Saba sampati sidiya let us dedicate the merits of this wholesome Dharma activity to our departed relatives and friends. Idang meyatinang hotu sukita hontu nyatayo Idang meyatinang hotu sukita hontu nyatayo Idang meyati nang hotu sukita hontu nyatayo. Let us pay respects to the triple gem. Arahang sama sambudo bagawa budang bagawantang abiwa. 
Thank you, uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, let's uh, thank uh, Sister Sylvia Bay.